But when I was looking at university, I looked at the best music schools and I wanted to understand where they were. And I was lucky enough to be studying with a symphony musician. And she recommended that I go audition at Ohio State with Chris Weah. Um, I wasn't exposed to any rowing in high school. I was a different athlete. I was a tennis player that had started the recruiting process, but you know, wanted to choose a different path. In rowing, so, right? You can enjoy the culture, but maybe not the coach, or you enjoy the coach, but not the culture. So you're always trying to balance both of those things. I think all we have to say is, you know, this is episode four, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. This is episode four of the Sparks Rowing Podcast. Okay. Okay. Um, joining us, episode four, we have, you know, the four OGs of the Corona podcast. We have Daniela Susanara, we have Ryan Sparks, and we have Nick Lee Parker. Um, and after a lot of debate of what we really wanted to kind of get into today, it's going to be very free-flowing. And you're going to hear from um, a lot of us on, you know, what we valued in our college search, you know, how we viewed development how like our development um of self has been shaped by our experiences and the environments that we've been in um so it's going to be a little bit informal um compared to stuff that we've done but you're also going to be able to hear you know how we kind of got to where we were and how we selected the right place for us with that like with certainly uh an impact on or with an influence of rowing but for a lot of us it wasn't just rowing well before we got going we were having a little go around and ryan was talking about the values where he grew up and that they weren't great they weren't very inclusive or they weren't very um healthy and so i asked him and i wanted him to talk a little bit about it now is when you were looking for a college ryan were you looking for a place with values that you thought were better than where you were? Or did you figure out that those values were different after you got to college? Like, what were you thinking about when you thought, but just like, oh, what kind of environment do I want to be in? So as someone who's mildly autistic, you know, you, you constantly are looking for ways to measure the world. And, you know, to be honest, I think that a lot of rowers and rowing coaches are potentially mildly or more than mildly autistic. Um, and, you know, I think that's one reason I loved coaching is because I liked making the pattern the same. But that's to say, at 18, you know, you don't really have a good gauge on the diversity of value systems out there. You don't, you know, you're, you're fairly sheltered. One reason I, I really believe in camps and really believe in, in diversifying experience is because you have to get exposure to multiple types of people to really understand the world better and understand the possibilities inherent for you. Um, so for me, I didn't know what I was doing at 18. I, um, we hired a private college counselor. I was already at a boarding school, but we had a private college counselor too. Um, and. Uh, I wanted Georgetown and I wasn't allowed to apply because it was too liberal. Um, I'm from Texas. Um, and 
ultimately I ended up going to Richmond uh, because my parents had friends with children there. That was, and it was a direct flight. It was, these were horrible reasons to select a, select a college. Um, I made friends there. I, made, I, I still have some friends from Richmond, uh, but I ended up coaching the club team there after two years because it was just such a wreck. And I missed the structure that rowing brought to my life. And that, to me, was kind of when the world began to open up because I had to force, I had to go to New Zealand and force essentially this huge reset um, and, and, and do it independently in order to actually uh, open up the world enough to be able to figure out what my possibilities were. So the answer is I had no idea what I was looking for at 18. Eddie, when, when you went to university, what were you thinking about for the environment you were looking for? I think for me, my, my story as it pertains to rowing was extremely different. Um, I wasn't exposed to any rowing in high school. I was a different athlete. I was a tennis player that had started the recruiting process, but you know, wanted to choose a different path. So based on recommendations from you know, my actual tennis instructor at the time and uh, family members, um, I wanted to find a, a school that had the opportunity to walk onto a team. So it became a variable in my college search. Uh, but what I really needed was an environment that I could not feel confined in. And I knew that needed to be an act like access to nature. I wanted to have some sort of stimulus that I could be active within a community, but that also had a very, you know, engaging student body. So for me, environment really kind of drove forward where I was looking. So city schools were not for me. I needed to have the, the exposure to nature and the access to kind of get off campus um, because that's how I really worked through stress and worked through, you know, obstacles. My life was to, to take time by myself. Um, so when I ultimately chose the University of Vermont, uh, it, the reason why it, I ch ended up choosing it because it took three minutes of me being on campus to, that it made it feel like home. It was just that comfortable without even looking at the academics, but I really, the environment piece was big. I needed to feel comfortable. I needed to feel grounded. But I looked at schools certainly with rowing opportunities, but it wasn't, it wasn't by any means the guiding light in my, in my suggestion. I didn't know what I wanted to study. Uh, I had a guidance counselor in high school that, you know, certainly, and I'll say this now, I can't even remember her name. She was a complete moron. Um, we switched guidance counselors my senior year to try and level out the playing field. And this woman came on and thought I should apply to 16 schools. Uh, and that with my current grades at the time, I believe it was like a 32 in the ACT and like a three, three, seven, three, eight, uh, that I should look at the town branch of Yukon right down the street from me. Um, <laughs> so uh, I did end up applying to 16 schools and I never looked at half of them. Um, but so it was very much, I felt like an individual journey and my parents were very supportive of, you know, what I wanted to go see and, and why I wanted to go see it. And for that, I'm very thankful. But in terms of having other resources that helped me figure out what I valued, I'd like to think it was a very individual journey. 
one of the things you said you next? was, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you one more question and then okay. you can ask me. One of the things you said was you didn't really look at the academics. Mm -hmm. So something in you said, there's something that's actually more important than what I'm going to learn or the things that I know I need to learn, I'll learn anywhere. Mm -hmm. How did you know that? It's a good question. I think at the time I, I didn't have a clear direct career path. So certainly I wanted an institution that you know, had a reputable academic uh, curriculum, but I wasn't necessarily looking for anything specific. And what I also realized was that based on that knowledge, there was going to be more schooling involved. So I would go to college to kind of figure out what my strengths and my weaknesses were, you know, where my passion lies, where my interests were. And then from there, I knew that it was going to take a specialized program or an additional degree to ultimately figure it out. So it's kind of like I went in knowing that it wasn't just going to be four years in college for me, uh, that it was going to take a lot more. And you know I was right uh, because where I thought I was going for my senior year in college was a pretty competitive career in PR, and I'd done the internships, and then I decided to be a rowing coach, and I never looked back. Um, mind you, there were two other degrees that came after that, so I was right in my thinking. But um, to me, it, I value the lessons that you can learn outside of the classroom just as much as the ones that you learn inside, and I didn't feel that I needed to be anywhere particular because I hadn't figured out what I was really passionate about yet. I need to, you know, I want to chip in and say that the classic college counseling path is what do you want to study? But typically in my experience after 10 years of college counseling, you know, 90% of students don't have that. And unless they, unless there are 10% of students, particularly those who want to be doctors um, or in the medical profession or potentially engineers who know, that going into to college, but the majority aren't, you know, 100% set on being a classics major. Um, and that's, you know, they recognize they can learn that anywhere. So what's interesting about the way that college, they teach you to engage the college counseling processes, you know, you start with kind of what's the academic area of specialty that you would like. Typically, mm -hmm. you know, 90% of, of students don't know that. It's more about like, they do know certain things and they inherently, you have to kind of start with what they're, they intuitively know. You intuitively knew you wanted to be in a rural environment so, so you could get outside and process things. That's a right. great starting point. You know, then, you know, typically people will, from there will think about the social life, whether they want it to be a huge school or a small school, like there's, there's that piece of it as well. I think I'd like to be the good cop for the masters, so Peter. <laughs> um, so anyway, I mean, I think that I think it, it comes down to starting with what you know, and typically what you know is not what you want to study. But I don't know about you guys, but I changed my major, I think, three different times, at least in college. At one point, I was a studio art major because I wanted to get into a photography class and you had to take drawing first. Um, so that lasted for a semester. Uh, and then I was... I think at one point I was even biology, but that again was very short lived. <laughs> Nick, I think that, I, but I think what I'm just saying is 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 totally paradoxical to what you did, right? Kind of. 
Um, Walk us through your experience, Nick, because I think you've got a very unique set of, you know, Ryan and kind of figuring out values. Like for me, it was figuring out the environment, but for you, you had a pretty clear direction that you needed and wanted to follow. Yeah, no, I know. I, I felt really strongly about what I was going to do at the time, um, playing music. And even though I think other people uh, had some questions, as, as everyone should, if someone says, I'm going to be a music major, you know, th there's good questions that should come along with that. Because um, I, I did have a lot of uh, friends who were in music for maybe not the right reasons. Um, but when I was looking at university, I looked at the best music schools and I, I wanted to understand where they were. And I was lucky enough to be studying with a symphony musician. And she recommended that I go audition at Ohio State with Chris Weid. And Chris Weid is a retired bassoonist. He was the principal of the Toronto Symphony for 17 years and a phenomenal teacher. And so I did what you can't do in athletics. I went. While I was still in high school, I had prepared a concerto and I played. And then I had a private lesson that lasted probably 90 minutes where I was getting feedback and we were working together and I was getting coached and I was getting taught by a master teacher. And it was incredible. One of my takeaways, because I did this with multiple professors, but my takeaway from him was the week before I'd played the same concerto for my symphony um, teacher, symphony teacher, and she gave me a number of things that I needed to work on. Not just on that piece, but just general. Here's what you need to do to improve. This guy listened to me play for 15 minutes and gave me almost the same list. Wow. And I was just like, how did you hear all of these things, you know that there's certain notes that I can't control. There's certain ways that I use my tongue when I'm playing specific pieces that I can't, I don't have good control over that. He heard it all. And then he immediately went to work on it. And there was something so enjoyable about getting down to the task of mastering what I was trying to do. And he led me there. By the, before the end of it, I'd spent 60, 90 minutes with him really working and it felt like no time had gone by. And to me, that was what I was looking for. I was looking for someone to help me improve my craft, to guide me there, who could understand where I was falling short, where I was doing well, and was going to push me. And that was one of the things I walked away with from that experience was, this is gonna be really hard. It's going to be really hard because he can instantly hear how well prepared I was. He, he heard it. And that to me was really exciting. But that's something we don't get to do in athletics. I don't get to say, you know, there's 10 or 12 athletes that I'm really interested in recruiting for Columbia University. I'm going to have them come. I'm going to give them a private lesson. We're going to go out in singles. I'm going to work on things. I'm going to see how they respond to my coaching. And then in a few weeks, I'm going to send them a letter that says, you know, I've decided that if you want to come here, I will accept you onto the team. So that's what happens in music. But we don't get to do that in rowing, which is always one of the things I'm trying to recreate that experience as best I can. Let me ask a question before Daniela, we asked Daniela to go, which is, um, 
you know, something that people may be wondering about, which is, you know, so if I send, you know, if, if I go to Columbia rowing camp, why, why is that not the same, the same, why is that not what you're talking about? Why does that environment not enable what you're talking about? Um, I think, you know, it's an important thing to understand about the difference between an official visit, which I think is pretty much as close as you're going to get to what you're talking about and not what you're talking about. But I would also say, you know, people expect what you're talking about to be happening at Columbia Rowing Camp because, to be honest, that's how soccer camps work, you know. Mm -hmm. But that's not how rowing camps work. I think there are elements of that that absolutely happen at every rowing camp. But part of the really important aspect of an official visit that makes it different is you have the team's culture that's really pervasive on the official mm -hmm. visit. And that is the guiding component for the prospect. There's part of it that's the coach. And you can get that in a camp. You can understand a little bit about how the coach is going to work. But what you really want to see is how the coach works in the environment with the team, within that culture, within that group of people, the interactions that they have, mm -hmm. how they joke with each other, how they communicate, how they talk about problems, how they're digressing in certain ways or how they're promoting in others. And you get a part of that in a camp, but you can't get the whole thing. And that's the difference that I say you get in music because what you're really going for when you study music is you're going, because you're gonna spend one hour a week in a private lesson with the most important person for your degree and your future every week for the next four years. Mm -hmm. And you're going to spend 12 to 15 hours playing in order to prepare for that one hour lesson every week. And I think that's what, so you get that experience there and you get part of that in a rowing camp, but the team component of it, you don't get. And that's what you're missing. And I will say that was one of my challenges being a music student. I got along incredibly well with my professor. I loved the way he taught. I loved the environment in which I was learning how to play. But as far as being part of the broader school of music and playing in larger ensembles and working within that community, that culture, that was a big struggle for me. And that didn't go very well. I love music, mm -hmm. but it wasn't the right cultural fit. And the same thing can kind of happen in rowing. Right, You can enjoy the culture, but maybe not the coach, or you enjoy the coach, but not the culture. So you're always trying to balance both of those things, and it's a really hard thing to do. So you go to a camp, you get as much information as you can. Mm -hmm. It's still not the complete picture, but it's going to get you a lot closer. I agree with that. I think that you can one of the things that we talk about, Ryan, with camps is like you at any Sparks camp, the Columbia, the BU, the Penn, you know, you have access to the coaches that are there that know, that know the ins and outs of rowing, like that are, you know, top of their game. Um, but, and you might see, you know, the head coach work with their assistants. And so you can kind of see their flow of things of how they like move around the boathouse, their routines but you do miss out on that culture and that culture is ever shifting right it's so even the, if yeah it's a very i mean it's a very precise chemical equation when you've got the team out there doing the work in right in the value set that the team has 
and there's the coaching staff is clicking with the boats and that's going on. That's, you can't experience that as a prospect. Uh, even if you go to a camp, because it's just not the same. That's what right. I hearing. Yeah. Right. And even like from year to year too, like say that, well, I think everybody would kind of argue that the team culture in one way or another, it's going to shift with each year that passes. Right. So when you go to, when you, like if I came and saw Columbia as a junior versus as a senior, you know, I may see something completely different. So like, I think with rowing, it is a little bit more personal because you do want to watch how the team evolves. You do want to watch, you know, the people that are coming in, like, do you relate with those people? Do your values align? So I think that again, just coming back full circle to the, to the idea of camps, you're exposed to the generality, right? You're, you get to sit down with the coach, you get to talk to the coach, you know, what their vision's like. It's not a recruiting specific conversation. So it does take a little bit of the, the pressure off, but that you don't see everything, everything that goes on behind the scenes. And I think that that's the, that's the biggest gap. Daniela, do you want to, do you want to chip in here? We got to give her a minute. Apparently not. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Hmm. I think that one of the things that, that I've, I've noticed about rowing after watching it from kind of the college and recruiting side for a very long time is that coaches on the more selective level of programming. And I, I will, will say, never this article in the Washington post this morning about how schools are incentivizing coming because of, you know, they're worried about getting folks in the door for next year. Uh, and plus apparently, apparently there's some, mm -hmm. there's some changes in terms of um, the way that they can pursue students um, that is creating kind of some like, you know, have get some free parking or get early registration for classes or, you know, to incentivize students coming. Um, which I don't, to be honest, I don't think if you're choosing based on your incentives, you know, hopefully those incentives are things you need and not things you just think are cool. Um, because ultimately it's four years of your education, but that's to say, um, the question that I don't think enough recruits ask themselves is how will I develop as a result of being in this in context? And it's difficult to uncover that because Nick could get it directly. You know, he was able to just interact with the professor and basically simulate being there and have a sample of it. Whereas with uh, a rowing recruit, you know, typically they're intimidated by the process to be honest, there's a huge gap between their current kind of level of training experience in high school and what they would be expected of them if they come into a division one or even division three program um, most of the time. And as a result, while what Nick experienced is desperately, to be honest, even more so needed. Um, and there have been people, I'm not gonna say who, who have tiptoed that line of running a clinic, to be honest, to basically simulate who can, who will fit and who will not. A primary thing in any recruiter's mind at a selective school is, is, you know, will this student retain? Typically you have students who haven't rode for two, uh, more than four years. You're asking them for a four-year commitment. You're asking them for a higher intensity level commitment than they're used to making to a sport that they're relatively new to. And so as a result, you know, I think it's a mistake to just believe that academics and erg score are enough. You know, there's, there's an entirely second kind of version of selection that goes on after that. 
I think it's also bouncing off what Katie said. It's really hard, especially on some of these really big women's teams coming in and getting a sense of, a sense of the culture on the you know day, two days that you're there. Just because there are so many different pockets going on sometimes that you, it's hard to comprehend what you're experiencing or like what is the actual culture. Um, and like, I, you know, I think I rode for a fairly good sized team back in high school and then going and visiting some of these, I wanted to go to a school with a big football team because those are my priorities. Um, not driving distance of my parents. Totally valid. <laughs> criteria one, big football culture. Criteria two, my parents can't drive there. Um, <laughs> so, you know, great. But so, you know, those teams have massive women's rosters in the fall to offset football. So you have all of your recruits, you have all of your walk-ons, you have all of, and those walk-on numbers are like <laughs> crazy. Yeah, and so you don't know which way, you know, they're loving life because it's their first time rowing. <laughs> they don't know what's going on. Um, so when you try to look at that, I think it's it's very overwhelming. We don't have time. Um, I think we're about out. We're about 30 minutes. Okay. Well, we can cut this little part off, but... Well, as we, I think this start, certainly starts to open a couple different doors. I don't want to say cans of worms, but it opens a lot of other doors for future conversations. But you know, as we come back to this idea of value and like your search, if you had to put it in a couple words, what are some things that, you know, were, that you valued the most and some things that, you know, you didn't really pay that much attention to? Like Danielle, you said like, all right, driving distance didn't matter to me. Like being away from home didn't matter, but like if you had to give, you know, three values that you were really going for or one to three and then something like some things that you blatantly didn't pay attention to, what are they? I would, I would say that, that um, the reason self-awareness is so important, which is not something, you know, from my example that I possessed, is because you do, you need values. And ultimately my experience, the negativity of my experience produced values in me because basically I, you know, it, there was so, so little structure in rowing. And to be honest, the value system at the place that I ended up was not on the value system that I wanted so much that it really made me have to think about that. Um, so it polarized me. Um, I would hope that people can come into that more positively if they come into more self-awareness, hopefully via the sport in high school. So that's my answer, which, you know, is, is it my own values, but that's my theoretical answer to, you know, okay. what I think, how people should be developing values. Nick, I think, what about you? Oh, go ahead, Nick. Oh, sorry, Daniel. I think I, I valued a challenge that I didn't know if I could meet. I, I felt that I could. But the thing I really valued in that audition and the reason that really drove my decision and a lot of what happened later was that I wanted a really hard challenge and I wanted to be working with someone who could lead me and kind of guide me because I knew I was gonna make a lot of mistakes and I wanted it to be okay to make those mistakes 
but I wanted to get better from them. Mm-hmm. And that really drove everything. And that was what made me feel good about that audition and everything that came later is that I was being pushed. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew that I was getting better. Mm-hmm. You go first. Danielle? Okay? I would say you go first. Okay. Um, you know, similarly to what Nick said of the idea of needing the support as you as you were challenged, as you went through the ups and downs, and like it was going to be a hard process. You talked about that you needed the support. For me, I know that I needed space, and I wanted the the space to explore. Um, like no pun intended, being in the woods, but um, I wanted the space to explore myself and think about it with space around me. That like people weren't going to be there all the time. Like I could seek them out if I needed to, but I wanted, I wanted the opportunity to have space and time to think. So when I think of the right environment for me, it's, it's directly related to space, but it's having just the personal space to be able to work through my own thoughts. I, I didn't necessarily pay too, too much attention to, you know, what the, I don't know, like what the social scene really was. Like I wanted something that you know certainly wasn't in the middle of nowhere but something like that wasn't necessarily that that important for me I think looking at my values in hindsight is really interesting considering I did my undergrad I stopped rowing I didn't row all four years but then I stayed for my master's and then I stayed again for my (laughs) PhD so I don't think that I chose the wrong school. Um, and I think I based a lot of my decisions and my values were very situated in who I was going to be going through those experiences with. Um, and, you know, I'm my four best friends from my recruiting class are still my best friends 10 years later, you know. Um, you know, maybe the culture of the team wasn't a great fit, but like the girls who I came in when, and the girls who I was on my officials with, like those, that's who I made my decision on. And I love the people in my department. I love the people in my program. And I like Nick, it's there, it's challenging. And I think that's why I love it so much. Like, do I always say that I'm happy with them? No, but they do challenge me every day. Um, so I think, you know, those, those connections that I was able to make when I visited the school and throughout my time, that's what affirm or I guess, continued to reaffirm my decisions. Cool. Thank you. Well, next time we might have a guest speaker. We're working out the details, right? Yep. Potentially. Okay. It'll be a surprise. Um, Katie, you want to do the closeout? Sure. Uh, Thanks for listening. I know that we're trying to certainly think about what's going to be most useful for our listeners and and how we can best, you know, share our story and our experience to help those who are, you know, going through the college search um, experience, but also just to provide some insight on different coaches and their stories and, 
and who they were as athletes. So uh, stay tuned for future announcements about upcoming guest speakers. But for now, we are signing off as the Corona crew uh, is still in quarantine and trying to make the best of it. So thanks for listening. Coming home late, it seems you barely